autism, where affect is the number one tool we use in supporting child development through playful interactions. This week we have a returning guest, one of my favorites, Miss Maud LaRue, who is an occupational therapist, and I guess you're Mrs. Maud LaRue. <laughs> she um, runs a total approach, which is a clinic in Glen Mills, Pennsylvania. Um, I met Maud through ICDL. She was uh, the facilitator and teacher, I guess, of my ICDL course when I first started training in DIR floor time. And I was so impressed with her that I looked her up when the course was done and we've been bringing our son to a total approach for about five years now, uh, every summer and sometimes on spring break. And I just think uh, Maude is great. She's, she's done so much to help our son's developmental progress. And today we're going to be talking about regulation challenges through the developmental capacities. And we'll talk about what those developmental capacities are in the DIR model, the Developmental Individual Differences Relationship-Based Model, first created by Dr. Stanley Greenspan. And uh, that's what we talk about here at affectautism.com. Welcome back, Maude. <laughs> Thank you for having me. And you know, you can, you can say Miss Maude because all the kids call me Miss Maude. And it's just music in my ears when they say that. So Yes, yes. <laughs> Well, um, I am going to post a blog that accompanies this podcast and video podcast at affectautism.com. And I will put links to a total approach, Mods Clinic. And Mod, you have a new academy that's been set up now for the better part of this year, Mod LaRue Academy. Um, I'm going to quickly share my screen to show that website, if I can find it. Here it is. Here is the um, a totalapproach.com website. And then we have Maud LaRue Academy, which um, is a place where you can learn a lot as a professional practitioner, but there's also stuff for parents on here, live courses, online courses, webinars, self-study. And also um, I'm clicking, you can link to Maud's blog through there as well, but I really like Maud's blog here. Uh, the children's corner where she talks about um, different issues that come up and I, I liked this one because we had done a podcast about this mod or we had mentioned it in one of our past podcasts about um, diagnosing autism versus sensory processing disorder. So lots of stuff for you guys to look at which I will link to on the blog post but let's get started with today's topic which is regulation challenges through the developmental capacities. And let me first just say developmental capacities being that, that DIR model that Dr. Greenspan laid out and um, developed with Dr. Weeder and other colleagues, these fun, functional developmental capacities, functionally emotional developmental capacities that uh, human beings go through before they reach that stage where neurotypical kids are ready to start school. So it's these, um, uh, what does Dr. Tippy call them? Foundation academics, uh, sort of these early social emotional capacities. And Dr. Greenspan laid out six of them, although he goes on to describe many more. These six are what we're most concerned with in DIR floor time. And of course, many of the kids are working in the first four. Um, and then they get through to five and six um, as they progress. 
And so um, I was talking with Maude about um, our son's, not mine and Maude's son, but mine and my husband's son, our son's regulation challenges. And the very first functional emotional developmental capacity is self-regulation and interest in the world where um, we want our children to be calm enough to be able to focus on the world around them and be ready to learn. And Maude was describing to me how this can look very different depending on what stage your child's at. When Maude first met my son, he was, you know, working in those first early capacities and now he's up into the higher capacities, four, five, six, working in four, but peaking into five and six and his regulation challenges persist, but it looks different than it did earlier on. And I said, Maude, let's have a podcast about this. So take it away, Maude. <laughs> well, great intro there um, in our discussion um, on this, you know, reminding me of the discussion we had when you were here in summer. So uh, I think that, you know, everybody understands the level one regulation to a certain degree. When you're thinking about um, how my child's um, sensory systems is adapting to the world around them. And we all know the kid who's holding the hands over the ears and the kid who is visually distracted and the kid who is moving all the time and all of those pieces where the sensory system is driving my um, arousal level. And I could be under aroused, I could be over aroused, and I have to get that just right balance between that. If we want to be technical about that, it's about the, um, the relationship between the sympathetic nervous system and the parasympathetic nervous system inside of the autonomic nervous system of our bodies. So that relationship is like very primary. We, we sort of, when we're born from utero, we start working on that right away, if not already in utero. Um, and the whole relationship between mom and child is what helps to set up that co-regulation and in, in Greenspan world, in the emotional capacities, we talk about co-regulation emotionally. And um, in the OT world, we talk about co-regulation in terms of modulation. Um, and so the modulation piece is about the sensory trigger, the co-regulation piece about the emotional trigger, but they overlap in level one. They, 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 they interrelate. Um, and so for, in, for us to think about a child that is dysregulated, we are essentially saying their autonomic nervous system cannot make a balanced homeostatic, even keeled response, adaptive response to the environment. That's really what we're saying. So, so Maude, Maud, can you describe a little bit about what you mean? You said co-regulation is the emotional piece and I've done podcasts about that and, and I think I've got that down, but can you describe a little bit for our listeners what you mean by the modulation piece? Yeah, so, so I think in modulation, we are purely looking at the sensory triggers. We're purely looking at, is this child able to have a balanced response between his vestibular system and his proprioceptive system? Between his auditory system and his proprioceptive system? So they, the different sensory systems has to come into balance so that I can stay in a regulated state. If I'm right now listening to a teacher, I have to keep my body in this seat. And then I have to maybe hold my hand a pencil so I can write. At the same time, I'm looking at her and seeing what she's demonstrating. At the same time, I'm listening to her and hearing what she's saying. 
And in all of that, the sensory information is coming in. I'm maintaining that balance. That's, that's the modulation piece of arousal. And, and let's just very quickly describe what is proprioception and what is vestibular for those who may be new to that. So proprioception would be when I move, there is receptors in my deep joints that tells me where my body is moving so that I can walk without having to look down at my feet. So I can walk forward, look ahead of me and still know, okay, there my knee is bending, there my ankle is bending and it's all happening automatically. So in movement, those joint receptors give me feedback and that's proprioception. Now vestibular is my movement system. It's the way that I do anything with movement from the time that I'm a baby and I'm, I'm reaching out to something or I'm propping myself up as I'm trying to gaze into the world. All of that is activating and captivating the vestibular system to support my integration of movement. And that, of course, all of these sensory systems also relay, um, rely on each other, I should say better, um, to, to be able to work together. So if I'm, we talk about the vestibular proprioceptive system, because both is involved in movement. We talk about the somatosensory system, because it's touch and proprioception is also involved together. Um, so so there are these overlaps between these systems that actually makes our adaptive response more whole and also helps the brain across the full continuum of the two hemispheres to meet each other in different networks so that we can have the integration necessary to do what you and I are doing today. Talk to each other and to have a rhythmic conversation and to be um, regulated to have this conversation together. And just to give listeners very quick examples, when my son, who's now 10, was younger, although he still does it, he would um, bump into people as we walked by in, in a busy subway hall or shopping mall. He'd want to bump into people. He'd want to go squeeze in between the tightest place between the dresser and the wall. He'd need to lay on the floor a lot to feel where his body was in space. And that, if, if I'm right, is all proprioception. It's all part of that same system, yes. And it's, and how, it's how the one system also in the response to the other system. So let's say, just take the example of how he used to love lying on his back, right? So that piece is, is definitely, part of it is that, that proprioceptive piece and the position that he's in and the way that he's moving on that position. But the other piece also was, is that he didn't like what was behind him. He couldn't contemplate the space behind them. So it was also a protective mechanism. And your systems do that. Some, sometimes the same system can activate and sometimes the same systems can protect, you know? So it's the relationship between that that also matters. So when I, let's say I have a child who's auditory very sensitive and he wants to hold his hands over his ears all the time, that may be the same kid who also vocalizes and sings to himself or e, 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 or says words to himself at the same time as he tries to drown out the background information, right? So, we, so the one system compensates for the strengths, the weaknesses of each other um, and, and then maintains and in an effective system, an integrated, regulated system, all of these systems are acting in a homeostasis with each other. 
And just a quick example of the vestibular system is, is our son who's constantly moving. It's really hard for him to sit still. If I'm waiting in line at the fast food restaurant to get him a hamburger, he can't stand still. He's got to reach for whatever's on the counter. And when he was a baby, changing his diaper, he's reaching for the wipes, he's reaching for the bottle of this, he's knocking stuff over. When um, we started using the toilet, you know, he's spinning the toilet paper uh, thing, he's He's noticing every hole in the wall as he walks somewhere. Like he's just constantly moving, moving, moving. Can't sit still, can't sit still. So that's that need for movement. As a little baby, he would scream and cry. I'd pick him up and just go like this, move him, and he'd be totally fine. So I would always be able to soothe him with just lots of movement. Move, move, move. So that's that vestibular system just needing so much input. And, and now at age 10, he goes on every scary roller coaster that gives me a heart attack to watch him and his dad go on. <laughs> he can't get enough movement. It's unbelievable. So I just wanted to mention those because, you know, you're going to talk about this stuff as we go through the capacities and I want to make sure the listeners understand. No, so um, that's mod modulation. <laughs> yes. And I thank you for reminding me because, you know, I, I tend to use these terms all the time thinking that everybody um, is, is with me on that. But yes, that's what we want to do is we want to bring our body in sync with each other through the different pieces. And the beauty of that integration is, is that we can go to a conference all day and pay attention. Even though after lunch, we might have a little glucose slump, we chew on something or get, grab an extra cup of coffee, we're regulating ourselves through it. And we use those sensory systems throughout our lives. We always use them to regulate. I still grab something to eat when I want to sustain myself a little bit longer and paying attention. You know, um, some people smoke when they want to take a break on something. When you're stressed, what do you do? We use our sensory systems to help us to regulate and to calm. And it's in one place, it's the sensory piece, but it's also the emotional reminder of those early life and what I used to do to calm and to soothe when I was in the first three months of life. And I'm, in a way, we keep doing that throughout life. So coming then back to our topic about how does this relate to other levels and layers, you know, that this first layer is what sets up my sensory adaptive response, this regulatory piece. But then from there, the baby then starts to think about other cycles in his life. And maybe not think as much when you're that young, but definitely consider like the nutrition cycle. Then mommy feeds me and then mommy is gone. And then mommy feeds me and then mommy is gone. So there's a cycle happening. Mm -hmm. And then there's the sleep-wake cycle. Then I'm asleep, then I'm awake. I'm asleep, I'm awake. And so that cycle starts to put a rhythm on top of the regulation of the soothing mechanism that happens between me and mommy. Um, and so that becomes intertwined. Then as I, as I um, continue um, through the process of putting things in place, adding more and more skill, because the first year of life is all about incredible pruning in the brain. And it's a complete relationship between how the sensory system is regulating, how the emotional system is regulating, and how you, you're building this reciprocity of this continual safe and secure relationship if everything goes well. 
course, when we talk about trauma and other pieces, we can talk a long day about those pieces. So let's just focus typical here. So this typical development then sets then the foundation for getting the system in gear that I can register the information in a regulated way from both the relationship, the emotional co-regulation, and the sensory adaptive response from the sensory modulation piece. Now, now that I can put those systems in a place where the body can understand it so that the body can use it, now we build skill. So now skill falls on this foundation. So we, if you think about a house, the foundation of the house is what we're talking about in the regulatory piece. The walls of the house is the skill I'm building on top of the foundation. So now I am starting to, hmm, okay, so maybe if I put my little legs together and I get into a four-point position, maybe I can start crawling. And maybe I can get myself from point A to point B and not have to call my mommy with a nice little cry to come and get me and pick me up and take me somewhere. So, so very early on, we start crawling. We start taking ourselves across the space that we're in. And we've developed the visual space. We develop the auditory space. Oh, my mommy is that far away from me when she calls me, right? There's this depth perception in space. And it all comes with that early mobilization. So now I'm building my motor skill. And in that motor skill, I'm putting different pieces together. Now I'm also adding some cognitive pieces. Hmm, you know, maybe, oh, there's a red ball. Oh, it's under the couch. It's on top of the table. It's next to the dustbin. So I'm, I'm figuring out different pieces. And then as I do these things, some people are adding labels through language. So you see the rhythm then that comes between the cognitive, the language, the emotional, the sensory, all of that is then part of that integration. When this integration, in, if you think about levels in DIR, right? Level one is obviously my, that first piece we talked about. Level two is sort of also in that first piece we talked about. By the time you get into three and four, you're talking about this, the walls. You're talking about these skill levels. And those are usually your individual differences that may, that may constrict your levels three and four, okay? Especially that visual spatial on level four can be very um, difficult. Um, and if, again, for maybe um, our listeners, visual spatial skills are skills that we need to think about a lot more deeper. Um, people talk about visual skill and they talk about being visually distracted. And sometimes they say, well, my kid does everything with vision, so he must be a visual learner. It's not always true. If you're using vision to compensate for another weaker sense, then you are using vision in a constricted way and you're developing your vision in a constricted way. And so many kids have trouble with visual spatial and it's not really targeted as a, as a therapy goal. And it should be. It's a huge constrictor for three and four. But why am I mentioning all of those pieces? Because as I'm building the walls to stand up to form this whole piece of a house, I'm starting to also getting myself ready for executive skill, which is the roof. And part of that executive skill 
is going through now that I have these sensory pieces and these pieces in place, how do I regulate that skill in order to pay intention? How do I take that into attentive regulation? And one of the building blocks and regulation there, which is um, the part that we were talking about when I was talking with you about your son, was that how do I know in my body how long is five minutes? How long is 30 minutes? Um, why do my son say to me, um, when I say to him, just come here for five minutes, he says, it's forever, right? Honey, can you just leave your computer game? It's just, you know, just have your supper. You can go right back. I'm never, ever going to be able to get back there, right? Because they don't, they don't see, they don't feel, they don't have the regulation of, of you know, five minutes is really a pretty short time. It's going to be no time. I'll be back, right? Um, and that's why some people, some kids can get so anxious and say to their mommies, um, mommy, is it there yet? Are we there yet? Mommy, is it, is it that time yet? Is it supper yet? Honey, we just had lunch. Supper is still two, three hours away. And then a half hour later, mom, are we having supper yet? Are we having supper yet? What's going to happen? You know, and then just that anxiety at the beginning of the day. What's going to happen? What's going to happen next? What is next, right? Those, those anxious type of questions have a lot to do with not understanding the span of time. Not understanding that, yeah, you can get your iPad after dinner. And they say, well, is it now? No, it, we've just, you know, we've just gotten off the lunch table. It's a couple of hours on. And, when, and, and oftentimes that can run into big power struggles between parent and child. Because the, the parent feels the child is hopelessly too needy with all the questions and the, the repeat, 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 repeat of the question. But it's really not because the child thinks he is repeating or she is repeating. She's basically not regulated in terms of the timepiece, which later, once we get into academics, impacts how do they pace themselves through a test. I have 30 questions. I have 10 minutes. How do I know that I'm not on question two by the time it's done at 10 minutes? And then if you think about these examples, you think about the tremendous amount of anxiety that can build up in these profiles. So coming back then, we have the sensory regulation in the beginning. And then that through the motor systems develops into this timing regulation, which becomes like the middle bridge to the executive piece, which eventually will give me the ability to pace through an activity in an even way. I do many, many, many webinars, and I have to say to myself, between 30 to 36 PowerPoints is what I can handle in about an hour webinar. And then I have to pace myself through that in order to remain an executor of my time. Um, and that, that piece then, that timing regulation piece, is then what helps me to start organizing the higher level of attention regulation. Because if I can maintain my, my uh, grasp on what time I need to spend on paying attention to the speaker for a certain amount of time, 
um, it's, it's based on my ability to understand that earlier pacing of myself through an activity. So there's so many different layers to the, this regulatory piece. Um, and, and what's the odd thing now is, for the parent, they all look the same. Because they will see the same behavior, the same fidgetiness, the same putting my hands over my ears or whatever it is they're doing, but they mean different levels of integration. So let's go back and start. Um, so oh, so at the beginning there, the sensory and the modulation, the, the emotional co-regulation and all of that. Uh, that the first capacity, self-regulation, interest in the world. Then we get into the second capacity, which is engagement and um, sometimes called intimacy, where you, you see that gleam in the eye. The child is, is you've got their attention and, and you're ready to engage. And then the third one, where we start to get that two-way communication, back and forth communication, nonverbal, like I'll look at you, you'll look at me, I'll hold something out, they'll reach for it, like all of that is circles of communication, getting that back and forth going. So just in those first three, let's talk about some of the regulation issues we see. And then I, I certainly have examples of what we're seeing in four and, and five with my son. But um, um, yeah, just in those early capacities, how is that impacting their capacity to engage or their, well, their capacity to engage seems pretty obvious. If, if they're distracted by lots of noises, how are they going to be able to engage with you uh, and let alone have a back and forth? So um, the easiest way to answer that one, like on level one, you would want to say the child is a victim of their senses. Really. Um, it's, it's, it's very, very sad because your fight and flight is just forever nearby. Um, so this child is not able, this child oftentimes is not able to handle more than one system at a time. And they become multi-sensory overloaded. And they have very, very short, short, short brackets of attention span, short glimmers to give you something um, to work with in terms of attention and arousal. Um, so yes, that could look for some, they, some kids can be highly verbal, but they can still be very dysregulated. And some so, can be very nonverbal and still be dysregulated. But level one really is the hugest, the strongest consideration of the sensory modulation piece to regulation. I'm just thinking of um, if I go in a place and the smell is overwhelming, I, I think I have a heightened sense of smell. So say you walk in a room and, uh, I don't know, there's animal feces everywhere or something like that. So <laughs> overwhelming, like no way is anyone going to be able to have a conversation with me because every two seconds I'd be like, oh, the smell, the smell, the smell. Is that the kind of thing that you're talking about? That's right. So the system overtakes the moment. The systems just overtake. So whatever you were trying to teach, whatever you were trying to say to the kid, whatever you were trying to be um, helpful with in terms of a game, it's lost. The, the systems just take over and they have to respond to that system. And then you're like, what happened now? We were just having a good moment. The child's gone. Um, physically still there, but not really in the attentive way, right? So that's your first level. 
And of course, then that impacts on level two. So let's say we have a little bit more regulation or modulation on level one. And now we want to go to level two where we want those longer spans of engagement. Um, so now we want joint attention. Now we want that, that ability of us to stay, the staying power, number one, for level one. And now you want to stay and pay attention to something in a joint way. So it doesn't have to have rhythm or anything yet. It's just simply being there and being in a moment together and, and enjoying that moment together. That part is also heavily reliant on the automaticity of how those sensory systems are coming together. I mean, basically in Greenspan's world, it's like between the ages of three months to about five, six months um, that you're developing this joint attention and engagement kind of pieces. And of course we keep developing it as we go from that point forward, but though that's a period. So it's very much still part of that sensory regulation piece. It's only when you get into level three, when you start to consider that early timing regulation piece and think about reciprocity in communication and having those circles of communication. I speak, you listen, you speak, I listen. And we have that, that co-reciprocity of the circle of communication following continuously one on the other. And in level three, um, we are thinking about that simple complex, uh, that simple problem solving, right? And so we're thinking about maybe three to five to seven to eight circles at a time, and then there's a break, and then there may be another three or four circles on some other piece. And it's a bracketed circles of communication. And that's because the rhythm and the timing is still being set up. Then when you get to four, and now you're getting to 60 plus circles of communication, now the ideas are flowing. Now we're getting into the space of, of, of visual spatial structure. I'm planning a, a story, beginning, middle and end, very robust. And you know, we talked about theory of mind before. Um, so that's the place where you, where you can now finally put the systems, the walls of the house in such a space that you can, that you can entertain theory of mind of somebody else's pieces. So you can see a lot of that abstract thinking and those pieces come together. And it comes together when the timing regulation at that level is at that height. And this is why we also have kids who we call impulsive, that their behavior is impulsive. That impulsivity is not always linked to sensory regulation or even emotional regulation on level one. That impulsivity is often linked to timing. You know, what does impulsive mean? I can't wait. Why can't I wait? Because I don't get time. And I don't, I think that if, if you don't answer my question now, I'm going to lose my question. If I don't tell you right now what I want to tell you, I'm, it's going to leave my mind because I'm still working on working memory, which is going to help me to maintain my thought while somebody else is speaking. So, so the, the communicative ability of that rhythm and that piece of kind of staying in the game and then you and then me and then you and that back and that forth that we get in level three, is why it's so important for us to get that building block so that four can become more robust in a multiple different ways. 
And I know that we talked about this a lot because uh, my son has impulsivity issues and you mentioned that it, it's very likely due to timing. And some of the things he's been doing lately and for months now um, is always wanting to know what's happening. So we're driving. Mama, why did we stop? Why did we stop? It's a red light. So then now fast forward three months. Why did we stop? Why did we stop? You know, red light. Yeah. What are we going? I want to go. I want to go. I want to go. I want to go. Yes, yes, sweetie. We have to wait till the light turns green. Um, and then this morning, driving to school. Why did we stop? Why did we stop? Red light or stop sign. Mm-hmm. Or I'll say, mama doesn't want to crash. Look, the cars are stopped. I want to go. I want to go. I want to go. I want to go every day multiple times for many months now <laughs> every and, car ride and 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 you and you know your child has grown right so you know it's not exactly the same as when he was on level one but in many ways the behavior looks like it becomes just as disjointed as level one it looks the same and when when families don't recognize that it has a different trigger a different origin a different place of being then it almost feels to them like, oh my goodness, you know, sometimes it feels to me like I have the same child back that I had before we started all this therapy, you know, because he still gets upset with similar things. He still gets into a space where I just don't even know how I'm going to get him down from that space, you know, but I think once, once families, and that's why I'm so grateful to you, Daria, for what you're doing on this podcast, because, um, it's a really, it's a place where families can really see um, more pieces of hope, you know, because I feel that once I explain to a parent, listen, yes, I know it looks the same, but look at the triggers, look at the situations, look at what's happening. The behavior may look the same, but it's a different trigger. It's a different place of regulation. Regulation isn't just the first level piece. We work on regulation for the rest of our lives. We yeah, he, always... he, would, he wouldn't have known what a red light was or that we're stopping right. for a red light three, four years ago, for sure. That's right. That's right. And, and, and therein lies a lot of the difference. And, you know, I have to tell people that because they're not going to understand that if somebody doesn't tell them. Um, but but it, once you understand that, it gives you so much more hope than thinking, oh, my goodness, are we still back at working on sensory? And you know how many families will come to me and say, Maud, I've I, I come to you because, you know, people have referred you, whatever, but I don't want that sensory stuff. I want the other stuff that you do. <laughs> I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> ding, ding, ding. That gives you a clue. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm like, oh, okay, well, let's talk about that sensory stuff, you know, because, you know, the news is you're going to do sensory for the rest of your life, you know? And, and, and other people, a lot of other professionals are not occupational therapists and they really don't understand all this sensory stuff. And you can get so much useful information from, from other professionals. But I find that the information we get from you as an occupational therapist is really unique and has been the most helpful for our son because his, his challenges are so sensory and in his body. I mean, he you know, we'll think we're going about doing this and that. And then out of the blue, he says something, comments on what we said. And we're like, 
holy cow, he heard everything. Everybody just said he's like totally on the ball, paying attention to everything. Yet we think of him as such a young child because he's so hyperactive and this and that. But, you know, that's his body preventing him from getting further. Um, he Maybe he could read and write better than he, than he currently is just starting to if he had had the sensory abilities to focus and take it all in. <laughs> and, and, and also, I just had a thought that I'm hoping I'm going to be encapsulating good enough here. Um, if you think about your example of him saying, mama, mama, why do you stop? Why do you stop? I want to go. I want to go. Right? That example in the car. Um, if you think about that piece um, um, for him, it's um, the waiting of the car. He's thinking in an executive way of the goal of getting where he wants to be. So he's jumping over the steps. He just knows he's got to get into a car and the car is going to take him from A to B. Now he stops. Now at the stop, he has to wait. He has to fill the space of waiting. How do you fill the space of waiting when you don't pace yourself through the waiting? Right? So now he goes into hyperarousal. And now he shows you this, this, this kind of side of him. And that reminds you of exactly where you were when you were working on level one. That, that's the relationship. But what he's saying to us now is that I use more language. I know where I'm going now. It's not, I'm not a victim of what's happening to me. I am now saying to you that my sensory systems is going to have to come and help pick me up here because there's a piece of me that I can't regulate. So I'm going to be accessing everything that I used to access to help myself from fidgety to hands over the ears to do whatever I'm going to try and find support in my sensory systems to cope with the waiting. On level one, I was trying to access enough sensory to give me an ability to cope. On level four, I'm actually using my sensory systems in order to cope with a higher demand. Okay, so I'm hoping that that makes sense because it's, it's, the, um, it's what we want to do. I celebrate when that starts to happen because I'm still today using my sensory systems to cope with my own fatigue level. I know I can't operate on four hours sleep a night. I know what I have to do because I fly all over and I can easily succumb with jet lag to a high degree. And I know I found a way to regulate my body that I can sleep anywhere and that I can know what I have to do when I get into a different country and how long I have to stay awake so I can get easier into the cycle of that country. That is the art of regulation on a much higher level, of course. But, but it's not, it doesn't stop. We always will seek support in our regulatory system for a demand that's placed on our bodies for the day. So the example of that parent, the surprise to her was, mom, we're always going to be working on these sensory systems, but let's just figure out for what reason. Is it for the sake of the sensory? Is it for the sake of attention? 
Is it for the sake of waiting? Um, is it for the sake of creating rhythm? There is different levels that we're going to be working on. And, and, and each level brings its own regulatory capacity actually to the table. And the highest level that we work on mostly, the level six, we get to about the age of four, that's when it sort of translates into the attentive and um, arousal piece into the um, pacing myself through an attention activity. So um, right, right before we talk about that, I just have a couple of other quick examples. So um, my son will get a treat if, if someone has a birthday party and there's a little Kit Kat chocolate or something and we're trying to teach him pinch and open the wrapper. He's like, I can't do it, I can't do it, help me, help me, help me. Like he, he can't, we say, excuse me, and he'll say, please, can you help me? Please, can you help me? Like just again, can't wait. And just saying, it's okay, mama will help you, dada will open it, let's see. And then trying to slow him down, but he's like, I can't do it, I can't do it, I can't do it. Oh, I did it. Sometimes by accident, he'll just do it. He'll, oh, I did it. <laughs> I'll, I'll say, see, you did it. We just got to slow down. But that's the same thing, isn't it? Absolutely. And what I would say to you for that, for an example, say to him, okay, first. And then give him what to start with. Because oftentimes, if they just get that starting point at that level, now not level one, level four, right? So this won't work if you're level one. But on level four, if you simply give them a starting point and you say, okay, first we do this. Oftentimes you can see that de-escalation just happening boop, 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 because you gave them a place to go. Because in level four, you're still working on entertaining sequencing. You're still working on entertaining the rhythm of, of getting that sequence into a step one, a step two, a step three, a step four to get to the completion of my story or my task. So, um, so sometimes just giving them a place, a foothold to take away the focus of the time that needs to happen with the waiting. Just giving them that foothold of sequence supports the timing process until you can get both timing and sequencing under better control. So it might be first put your fingers on the wrapper, yep. then pull. Yeah. I can't do it. I can't do it. Oh, <laughs> and just keep directing back to, back to there you know so okay so first okay and then you okay like we always do with the high affect first and then right and then you hold them with that affect it's the golden piece of dir you hold them and you say then and you you might even you know and then he takes a hold of it and when he does it ah, it's open right and so that it just helps to, you can't change the fact that he needs to work on time. Can't change it. So the only thing we can do is to see if we can cope through the other sensory systems, the other demands, like using sequencing, like using our steps, which is a little bit of a top-down approach, but floor time is full of that. Top, down, bottom up. It's, it's got both of them in there. And um, so you have to work around it. But I think the better thing is, for you to understand what is happening now in the child's mind. He's not being a behavior kid and saying, oh, not, you know, what's gonna happen? What's gonna, he's not doing that because of behavior. He's honestly doing it because he doesn't get time and he doesn't get the regulation of time in that moment. And when that happens, they can't wait. 
So I, um, I know we're, we're getting towards the end, but I think these examples are so important for parents. Uh, just quickly, a parent in my online parent support group, which anyone can look up through ICDL or through the events tab on my website, affectautism.com. It's a free drop-in for parents. Uh, one of the parents was saying what was really helpful for their child is just by chance, they had this weird book called How to Bathe a Cat. And it said, step one, do this. Step two, do this. The kid loved this book, thought it was hilarious and great. And they started saying that in real life to help him through transitions. And it worked wonders because it reminded him of the book. Step one, we'll put on our coat. Step two, we'll put on our shoes. Um, and I thought that was awesome. And of course, every child's going to respond to something different. That's, that's why we have no script in floor time. We don't know what's going to work for every kid. Um, and the other thing is, you said not a behavior issue. Well, with my son, we had some behavioral issues. Uh, they're trying to integrate him into a small group. And in, I guess in the wait time from going from one room into the other room, then he got into the other room and he went <laughs> at one of the other kids or one day kicked the therapist or something. And, and Maude was telling me again, that could be, he is not sure what to do with that space. So, I, I mean, I'll let you explain it, but you said he's unsure what to do with that space of the transition into the classroom and he's reverting back to the <laughs> and stuff that he might've done a couple of years ago to regulate himself. Do you want to elaborate on that a little bit? So it looks like behavior, like, oh, he's spitting at kids. He's kicking the therapist. That's right. That's right. And I think, I think you've already explained it pretty well there, Daria. And so maybe just, you know, reiterating what you're saying, um, maybe with a different example, but the, um, that is the same issue. When, when he has to transition, transition means I'm not actively engaged with what I was engaged before, whether I enjoyed it or not. That's what the transition does. It takes me from one activity to another activity. In that space, I don't have any clue what the time lapse is going to be between that space and the next space. So I get physical cues. Okay, we're all walking in a line. Um, we may be holding hands. We may be trailing our hands against the wall like some kids would do. We might be saying, listen, keep your hands just one arm length away from each other or your bodies one arm length away from each other and keep that distance. So I have to use these physical cues. Um, once I don't pay attention to these physical cues, things disappear. Time disappears. Now I get into the next situation and I may have gone off on my own head about something. I didn't keep track of these physical cues and I have to find myself again. And now I can't just start because I don't have that next step sequence. So, the, so what I do is now I dig, 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 dig in my brain and I find pieces that I might have used before to sort of win the moment. And maybe that makes it more relational if I go to somebody somebody's going to pay attention and start giving me a physical cue again. It might just also be a quick motor action that is not, there's no sequence involved. It's just very simplistic activity, but maybe it's going to get the result of getting somebody over to me. And maybe that can give me a little bit more something, some structure to hold on to. So these, these, some of these behaviors are, are, are attempts 
at a quicker resolution of a moment in time where space is there for me in this time lapse. And I don't know what to do with that piece. I don't know where to go with it. I don't know when it's going to stop. I don't know when it's going to start. I, I don't have those points. And I think it's so hard for us to understand what that really means. Um, because we, we just take it for granted. You know, we just, whatever. And, I, in, and in the same token, maybe another example, like one day I will tell the child, um, maybe I'll say, um, hey, honey, could you just wait five minutes? Right? And the next day I'm saying, what part of five minutes don't you get? And the next day I'm saying, did I just say five minutes? I'm giving the same message with three emotional tones and I don't understand time. So no wonder that some kids have transition issues. No wonder that some kids show behaviors when those things happen. It's not only gray in terms of emotional tone and emotional messaging. It's also the confusion of it's the same words, but it doesn't mean the same thing. Um, so where does the child take that? that? That piece, that's locked into three into four, mostly level four. And yeah, that's very helpful. And um, one last example is walking through Costco while my son's sitting in the shopping cart. He cannot sit, like, first of all, it's the end of the day, he's tired or whatever. So instead of pushing the cart with me, sometimes he'll sit inside. So um, he'll not only like start grabbing everything. So, you know, they things come in packages. He pokes holes in the packages and I have to be careful if I'm getting raw chicken because he's starting to poke his <laughs> finger in there and he's rubbing his eyes and everything else. So, you know, like opening, you know, poking through the fruits or whatever, just fiddle, fiddle, fiddle. Uh, grabbing at things as we're passing by, trying to hit things, still that restless, restless, restless movement that we've seen for six, seven, eight years. How is that different now? It's probably also, he's not actively engaged in anything. So he's, the only thing he has to worry about is waiting for you to get done with your shopping, yeah. you know? So, so engaging him helps. That's right. Engaging him and maybe even giving something like heavy for him to wear you know, um, a weighted lap buddy or something while he's sitting in the stroller or in the cart, as you were talking about that, um, just putting something heavy over him and maybe something heavy that you're getting from the shelf that you put on. Can I put this on your lap buddy? Right. And, um, and just keeping him sort of okay. In he likes space. to build a tower with all the stuff that I buy. Yeah. <laughs> so he's building a tower beside him It'll be an interesting shopping cart if he builds a tower with everything. Yeah, yeah. Well, I noticed he was—he likes passing the stuff to me when we put it on the yeah. counter, and then he's fully engaged again. And and you know what else could really help for something like that if parents really struggle with that, Daria, is that there's this this program out now called the Sound Surrey. Sound, S O U N D, sorry, S O R Y, and um, and they can just look at soundsurrey.com. It's a product that parents can buy off the shelf. Um, um, so it's not I'm just, I'm, I'm grabbing it cause it's right beside me here. Keep talking. Okay. It's not, um, it's not something that is very, um, I don't think it's like one of the most expensive things to buy, but when you put that on while you're doing the shopping with a kid, 
that could be, um, I wouldn't put it in the car because it's very vestibular and you don't want somebody being sick in your car, but the shopping cart is innocent enough. And just um, having that on might also be very helpful for a kid because it really grounds you. It has bone conduction to it. Um, thank you, Daria. That's and and I'm, I need to talk so the camera comes on me. Um, I'll put links to this in the podcast as well um, to describe a little bit about what it is. Um, that's a great suggestion. And, and I assume this applies even for things like uh, you're having a great time swimming at your cousin's house and then your kid won't get out of the pool even though it's time to go. Also because they don't understand when they're going to get to come back, right? Why must they even leave? What is the... <laughs> What, I mean, how long is it from now to tomorrow? I mean, that might as well be forever, right? What does forever mean? You know, and that's why it's also so hard for these kids on another topic to understand when somebody dies, you know? Uh, you mean, what does it mean to never, ever, 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 ever see somebody again, right? These words that we just use and we don't know that the kid is having a hard time grasping, what can that possibly mean? Uh, my cat dies. What, what do you mean she's not around? You know, she's gone? What do you mean gone? Don't we look for her when she's gone? Right? So those concepts, very, very tough for them. And that's why for little ones, we talk about when we go on vacation, there's three sleepies left, there's two sleepies left, right? Because when they're little, we understand their need to understand, to have structure to understand time. But when they're already the age of your son, we expect them to have it. Especially, especially when I know that my son knows what's happening next weekend, what's happening in two weeks, what's happening in three weeks. Like cognitively, he might have a sense of time. He knows the seasons. He knows when his birthday is. But that's very different than the sense in the body. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and it's just that innate thing that we have to understand what the passage of time means. That if I know that I have to wait 10 minutes for my favorite TV serial to come up, I know that in 10 minutes, I can probably go and make a quick cup of coffee and I can quickly maybe take the dog out for, his, for a little quick evening uh, relief um, and I'll be back in time for making sure I get my TV, uh, my, my, my show on. Not the child with, with timing needs, the, the show mommy the show mommy the movie mommy now mommy mommy the movie what do you mean you're going to the to the kitchen first to go and make some coffee don't you understand the movie mommy the movie the movie right it's just two different vantage points and when we look at that as behavior it's so tough i know we have to end the day so i'm gonna well um <laughs> i i I have time if you do. I'll, um, I don't know if you're rushing off to an appointment oh, or if you... I, I definitely have a consultation. Okay. <laughs> okay. So we'll wrap it up there. But um, I think, I don't know if you, how much you were going to say about the sixth level or if there were one last sentence you wanted to wrap up with. In the sixth level is just bringing it all together, you know. And, and that attention you, piece. That's right. So now you're not, now you're putting um, um, a certain timing between the different systems to a much more microsecond level. Like, I have to understand your thought without you saying so. I have to negotiate your thought, your feeling, with my thought, my feeling, all at the same time. 
plus I have to think about the words I want to say and I have to negotiate the words in a way that it could be have meaning for where you are in your space of time. And I have to do all of that in the timing that it requires to remain reciprocal. Right? So, so it's a regulation between systems of not just the sensory systems being the lower piece, level one, two, and three. This level is I'm putting language together with emotion, together with cognitive logic, together with problem solving ability. And now I have to maintain the balance between all of those pieces together at any given time. That is, that's that higher level of integration. It makes you think that our neurotypical kids have magic happening because it just happens so naturally when I see my nephews or something like that. And then we watch our kids struggle for years going through all these steps. Um, and I imagine that's the point where you have awkward conversations, your child's socially awkward with other kids, that attention piece in level six starts to get them into more, um, more typical looking conversation. That's right. That's right. And that's why I don't really do any um, serious work with another kid until I get to four, you know, and then even then between four, five and six, I would have sometimes with another kid in the room and sometimes I would still take the kid on their own because the, with me on my own, I can facilitate them to a higher level. Sometimes with a peer, they tend to sometimes go to a lower level and then, then, then come up to meet the peer. So that's good because you want that piece, but you, that's not where you want the child to stay. So you have to get them alone again to work on those higher levels and shoot, shoot, shoot. And then other sessions you're working with a peer again. That's why it's so important to have a combination program and not just a one-way street there. Well, thank you so much, Maud. I will put links to all of the stuff we talked about at affectautism.com. You can look up um, regulation challenges through the developmental capacities. And uh, um, hopefully uh, we'll get to talk to you again very soon, Maud. I thank you again for your time. It's a pleasure. Thank you for having me again. <laughs> Until next time, here's to affecting autism through play.